Morning, church. Everybody come out on this rainy day. This morning, I am got my boots on and my bolo tie. I look a little bit like a cowboy because uh, I have a horse joke for you today to start off with. People, somebody asked me one time, why do you always tell a joke? I said, well, it keeps people from throwing stuff at me. Or at least, if they wad up the sermon notes, you know, that's soft. You're not throwing chairs at me or anything. So, there was this preacher years ago that, um, they used to do these circuit riders. They'd go around to the same churches. It'd take them sometimes a day to get there with their horses. And his horse passed away, so he needed another horse. And in his congregation, he had a man that had a horse ranch. So he just called him up and went over there to see him. He says, yeah, come on over. I'll show you all my horses. You can pick one out. So he went over there, and it had been raining a lot, just like it has been here. And uh, they were near a river like we are. So anyway, he gets over there in the morning, and he's looking at all these horses. And uh, finally, about mid-afternoon, he brings him to this horse. He said, now this horse is different than the other ones. This horse was raised in a religious atmosphere. And he says, if you want to go, you don't say, giddy up. He won't go anywhere. You've got to say, praise the Lord, and the horse will take off. And he says, then if you want to stop, you can holler, whoa, all day long. He won't stop you got to holler, amen. When you say amen, he'll stop on a dime. The preacher liked that. He said, okay, I'll take that one. So he bought the horse. He's on his way home, and he sees up ahead a few people, and one of them comes to meet him, and they tell him the road is washed out. There's a big gully there. It's about 20 yards deep, 20 yards wide. The levee broke and washed it out. The river's running through there. And, you know, they were riding along together. Um, they had guys out there to, to intercept people. So he panics. He's, the horse is running towards this ravine with the water running through it. And so he forgets what he's supposed to say, and he's, whoa, 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 stop, hold it. And the horse just keeps galloping. So finally, right at, the horse gets right up to the edge, and he remembers what he's supposed to say. He says, amen, and the horse stops just like that on the dime. Right down there is all the water rushing and everything. The pastor, whew, has a sight of relief. He says, praise the Lord. Oh. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done for us basically emptying heaven for us, sending your son to die for us, sending us your word, sending us your spirit to be with us forever. Lord, we just thank you for your tremendous love for us and your tremendous sacrifice to us. And we give you all the glory and praise and honor, Lord, as we look at some of the things that you've done for us that define us as your children and what you would like us to do with that. 
So we just commit this into your hands, Lord. We invite you now, Spirit of the living God, to come and minister the word of God to us that you inspired. And I just pray for open hearts, Lord God, to receive this. I continue to pray for a spirit of understanding for everyone. Lord, we need to get this so that we can move on. And we bind the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus right now over everyone in here, over this place. And we just loose a spirit of love and understanding to flow in Jesus' name. We give you all the glory, Lord. Amen. I want to call your attention to your bulletin. There's that little insert in there. Uh, in, in Christ I am or I am in Christ, something like that. That's something that's just 151 scriptures that I pulled together about 30 years ago in the late 80s six, seven, eight, somewhere in there when I was pastoring in St. Louis. And uh, beings were studying uh, a little bit about who we are in Christ and so forth. There's all kinds of them in there. You can do word studies on them, look them up. Um, They're all related to that. So I had a whole bunch of them laying around, so you're the beneficiary of that. So as we begin... Let me unbutton my jacket so I can breathe. Uh, We're going to look at a few scriptures in review. Um, Quite a few, really. Uh, Just as a a reminder of some of the things that God has done for us and what defines us as a Christian then. The first one is found in Galatians 2.20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we were crucified with Christ. Hallelujah. You know all these things. These are review. And then in Colossians 3.1, that's not in your notes. I stuck that in there later. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, <clears throat> where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So we were crucified with Christ, and we were also raised with Christ together with him. And in Ephesians 2.6, it says this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we were crucified with Christ, raised with Christ, and now we're seated with Christ in heavenly places in the spirit realm. Just wrap your head around that. Think about that for a minute. When God sees you, he sees you seated with Christ. And Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And most people will say, well, that's the power side, because most people are right-handed. So So that's where you're seated. When you pray, think of where you're seated. Pray from that position. You see, um, we need to pray from a a place of partnership um, that we share um, with Jesus Christ. 
because we're supposed to be sharing in the works that he does, sharing his love, his grace, his mercy, and his power to a lost and dying world. Hallelujah. And in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and following. Oh, we wouldn't have to start up there. We could start at 21. Let's start at verse 21. Uh, 19 and 20 is just talking about the law and how we, it points us uh, that we need a Savior, <clears throat> points us to our sin. But now the righteousness of God, verse 21, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So let's just unpack this a little bit. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we are the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now as we go down through a list of things here that I'm going to share with you, I'm not going to give you the Greek words because you're going to forget the Greek word in about 30 seconds anyway. I'm going to give you the meanings of the words, okay? So the righteousness of God through faith means um, not equality with God, but equitable with God in character is what that means. See, he wants us to be just like him in character. And here's the thing of it. God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort, Okay, we all like to be comfortable, stay in our comfort zone, let somebody else do it kind of a thing, you know. And there's all kinds of gifts in this congregation. A lot of people missing today, but there's all kinds of gifts here that have not been unwrapped. We'll get to that. So at some point in our life, your walk with the Lord and my walk with the Lord We all need to come to the point where we get from our comfort to commitment to what the Word of God says. You know, we can stay comfortable if we want to, but we're going to miss a lot that God has for us. He wants to use us to bless other people with the giftings He's given us and the talents He's given us. Like the worship team uses their gifts. They don't use them to play in a rock band. They use them to worship the Lord and bring us into the throne room every week. Uh, That's what he's looking for. And so when we don't unwrap our gifts and begin to use it, we're not only not being used by God in an area, but people are missing a blessing. You know, he can bless a person, he can bless some people, he can bless a whole congregation, he can bless a state, a country. Who knows what God's going to do? There's no limit to him. The enemy has a limit, but not God. So in verse 23, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice it doesn't say, it's interesting to me, it never says you fall short of heaven. You fall short of the glory of God. You fall short of his presence in the here and now. You talk to somebody who doesn't know the Lord about the presence of God or spending time with him, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. You know, those of you that 
and, you know, we all know the Lord, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you spend time with God, and sometimes His presence is on you so strong, I know this has happened to some of you, um, that it, you can't move. It, it happens. <clears throat> it's the most wonderful thing, because in the presence of God, there's no lack. There is no lack in the presence of God, ever. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so righteousness also implies innocence and right standing with him. In verse 22. And then in verse 24, it goes on. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we're justified also. That means that we're redeemed. We're regarded as just, innocent, righteous. And it talks about uh, redemption. Um, Jesus uh, ransomed us in full. We were bought back. Now, he gave everything to Adam and Eve to begin with, and they messed up and gave it all away. So he had to send his only begotten son to be born human flesh and walk this earth filled with his spirit to live the perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice, holy, innocent blood, so that we could, he could buy us back, ransom us back. It's like when you take something to the pawn shop. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. We used to do that when I was in the service. We made $137 a month as a military man. And even back then, you couldn't live on $137 a month. So anyway, I was always taking something that a spare tire, hubcaps, baseball glove, whatever I could find, to a hot shop. And they give you money for it, and then you come back when you got money, and you pay them a couple dollars more for it and get it back. You redeem it. And that's what he did with us. Adam and Eve messed it up, and Jesus came and redeemed us, brought us back. So we were crucified with him, we were raised with him, we're seated together with him with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Um, we can be in his presence. We've been justified, um, rendered innocent, redeemed. We've been ransomed back. And then in verse 25, it says, whom God sent forth as a propitiation, talking about Jesus, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. God is the justifier of you, the one who has faith in Christ. He was the, uh, the propitiation means he was the atonement for your sins. Hallelujah. By his blood, through faith. Faith is mentioned a lot in these scriptures because everything is by faith in the kingdom of God. Faith is the currency of the kingdom, as you've heard me say. Everything, you have to apply faith to it. Operating in your gift, you're going to have to apply faith to that and step out in it. Amen? And like anything else uh, that's involved in everything we do, that's the way God set it up. Hallelujah. And then in 1 Corinthians... 12. Let's look at that one. No, 1 Corinthians 1, 2 and 3. Can't even read my own writing. <clears throat> uh, 
1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. I'll just read it from to the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So here it's talking about being sanctified. Now, sanctification is a twofold process. Right here it's talking about being sanctified positionally. There's also an ongoing sanctification all through our life. Uh, let me give you an illustration to help you understand the, two di the difference in the two. Um, we are sanctified positionally because of Christ's finished work. But I still have some rough edges, amen? So all through my Christian life, God is going to be getting rid of those rough edges. I'm going to be learning, I'm going to be changing, I'm going to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today, hopefully. Next week than I am this week. Next month than I was this month. Next year than I was this year. Amen? So that's the process of sanctification. But we're sanctified positionally already in the spirit realm because of the, what Jesus Christ did, his finished work. Now, for an example, let's say my dad, who's been in heaven for 20 years already, let's say that he owned, um, I don't know, a um, tire company makes tires and I'm the oldest son and so he's getting ready to retire he's getting old I'll get there someday I guess and anyway so he makes me the vice president of the company now I haven't even been working in that place I don't know anything about making tires but positionally I'm in position to be the next C CEO of that company now I have to learn how to make tires and how to run this company and how to treat people and all of that. That's the same with us. Now we've been ransomed, we've been bought back. We're all born in sin. Now we have to learn to live the Christian life. We have to learn to walk by faith. We have to learn to walk by love. We have to learn to serve. We have to learn to do all these things to live the Christian life. Hallelujah. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 5, verse 11. <clears throat> Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So here we are, reconciliation. That's an exchange. Um, the Lord exchanged his righteousness for our sin. It's called the great exchange. And that's what this is talking about, being reconciled. Reconciliation. We're being restored to divine favor. Wow. So we've been crucified with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ. Now we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, we can experience his presence right now, as we already did this morning. We're justified by his finished work. We've been redeemed, bought back by his finished work. He was the atoning sacrifice for us. We're sanctified already positionally and being sanctified on an ongoing basis all through our Christian life and reconciled, restored to divine favor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 1, 20 and 22. 
I can read them from up there. I just like to read them out of, out of my copy of the covenant. It's just the way I am. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. 22. Just for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen. Hallelujah. To the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So that's a very pregnant couple verses right there. The promises of God are yes and amen. Amen? The truth of God's word. If he says it, anything it says in here, he will do. Anything it says that you are in here, you are. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so it says that we are established. That means that uh, he confirms you as his son or daughter, as his ambassador. It's talking about a confirmation thing. And then it says in verse 21, Now he who establishes us, confirms us, with you in Christ Jesus, and has anointed us, is God. And you might be sitting there saying, Hey, I don't feel anointed. Anointing has nothing to do with how you feel. Okay? The Word of God says that he has anointed you. That's past tense. You don't have to be anointed. You are already anointed. Listen, Jesus Christ lives in you by his spirit. You're filled with his spirit. You think he left the anointing somewhere else? Uh, Christ is, means the anointed one of God. When he comes in you, his anointing comes with him. You can't help but be anointed if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's no choice. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. Oh, we're not finished yet like the horse guy. I go a little more. So, Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. So this is what it means to be anointed. Notice it's past tense, as I said, to furnish what's needed. And it has the implication of contact. And sometimes there's an impartation that takes place um, with people. Um, so, you know, sometimes we have impartation services overseas and stuff like that in other places, but not too, not too often. And it says, it goes on to say that we will be anointed. It says, and so it's talking about contact. Furnishes what you need. Uh, whatever it is God wants you to do, he's already anointed you to do it. But he's waiting for us to step out. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Now, it says there's a guarantee. So let me submit to you that the guarantee, contact with the Holy Spirit, furnishes the anointing that you need to do whatever it is he's asking you to do. Whether it's to give a word, whether it's to operate in a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or uh, the gift of faith or the gift of miracles or healing or whatever. You don't need to be afraid of what you see, somebody in a wheelchair coming up in front of you. We just had a guy get out of a wheelchair in the Philippines, not while we were there, but about a month afterwards. Um, 
you know, he just kept believing and kept trying. The next thing you know, the guy's walking around. He had a stroke. He's paralyzed, sitting in the thing, or wheeling him around. Uh, you just never know what God's going to do. It's all about him, not about you. Amen? So I'm submitting that the guaranteed contact with the Holy Spirit furnishes everything that you need. And it says he seals the deal, too, by the Holy Spirit. That's to a stamp with a private mark um, for security or preservation. God's stamp of approval on you as your ambassador. So this is just a short list of some of the things you are in Christ Jesus. Let me just go over some of this. First, he invested his only son in you. Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God. In other words, he invested himself. Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. We were crucified with him. We were raised with Christ. We're seated with him in heavenly places at the right hand of God. We're now called the righteousness of God in Christ because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're justified by Christ, by his atoning blood. Hallelujah. You missed a good place to shout right there. Amen. Justified. You know, I knew me before you knew me. And to think that I'm justified and righteous. It says that we're sanctified positionally by Christ and being sanctified on a daily basis, the anointed one of God. Romans 5.11 says that we're reconciled, we're restored to divine favor in Christ Jesus. It says that we're anointed by God through the Holy Spirit. We're sealed by him for the life that Christ lived, to live the life that Christ lived. Hallelujah. So we're crucified with him, we're raised with him, we're seated with him. Well, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we're justified. This is who you are. You've been redeemed. Uh, you've been um, sanctified, reconciled, anointed, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I think we need to take a praise break right there. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was kind of weak considering they gave Elder Poolholes a minute and 10 seconds. <laughs> God's worth a little more than that. But praise the Lord. He's done all these things already for us. This is who we are, part of who we are. This is just a short list now, a very short list. You know, I, you could be, we could be here all day looking at other, other things. But... Um, so this is just some of who you are. When God makes an investment, he's invested these things in us. Justification, reconciliation, his son, his word, his spirit. Oh, there you are. Hallelujah. So he's invested these things in us. Now, if you make an investment, nobody makes an investment unless they're expecting a return. Amen? Amen? Is that right? If you don't expect a return, why invest? Isn't that right? So God has invested in us big time. Now he's expecting a return on his investment. 
That's why I call this the great investment, the sermon. And this is just a short list, as I said. So he's invested in us big time. And no investment, nobody invests unless they expect to return. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense at all. And God is no different. He's much smarter than we are. And so as he's invested all these things in us, and now he's expecting a return on his investment. And so we're going to look at First uh, John 2. In your notes it says John, but it should be First John. Um, I'm going to have to talk to myself because I typed that. So, but I type like a chicken. I just forgot to hit the one before the John. So John 2, four, uh, 12 to 14. And I'll share a little bit after this. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. And he reiterates. And I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, most scholars agree, in fact, all of them that I checked, agree that this is not talking about physical age. This is talking about spiritual uh, growth. Amen? And it makes sense in the context that it's in. Scripture's always in a context. Whatever's before it and whatever's after it will tell you a lot about what the meaning of that Scripture is. And so when he says that, notice when it says have overcome, that's past tense again. It's all because of the finished work of Christ. Overcome means to subdue, to conquer, to prevail, to conquest, to get victory. Saints, we have everything we need for the victory. We don't need anything else from heaven. It's all here for the victory. <clears throat> and that tells us that in First Peter, Second Peter, one three to four, very famous scripture, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which having been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So everything we need has been provided for us by Jesus Christ. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's talking about life as he lived it. You know, we need to live life like he lived it. In love and in grace and in mercy and in power. We get, we get the grace and mercy one not so much the love in some places and not so much the power in a large part of the body of Christ. <clears throat> and Romans chapter 8 again. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, does he dwell in you? Yes. Yes. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So just a side note. Have you ever cut yourself? Your hand or your arm or your leg or your foot or someplace? Where does the healing come from? The outside or the inside? It comes from the inside. There just forms a scab on the outside. Pretty soon the scab falls off and everything's healed up. The power to heal you is on the inside of you. Okay? I know that's hard to imagine, but our, these bodies were designed to fix themselves. <clears throat> the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. What that tells me is that God... Almighty God has invested himself in you and I. He's invested himself in us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He sent his Son to die for us, and we're raised up together with him, sitting at the right hand in the spirit realm in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Next time you pray, see yourself there. Pray from that position, a position of power, not from behind some bush. God, would you help me, please, can you? If you would, please. You know, we come into the throne room boldly, not arrogantly, but we can come in there boldly because we're wrapped in the robes of righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not because we're anybody, but we walk in there and he sees a righteous man when I come into the throne room. And we all know that I'm a sinful person, but I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I'm welcome there because of that. So I can come in boldly, never need an appointment. Doesn't matter what time of the day or night it is. Think about it. This is the throne room of the God of creation who keeps everything, holds everything together. In him we live and move and have our being. <laughs> I mean, we're welcome there any time of the day or night without a doctor's appointment. Amazing. So he's invested himself in us. Hallelujah. He's expecting a return on his investment like any other investor. God is. It's not unrealistic for him to expect um, a return, especially considering the large investment that he's made in us, emptying heaven for us, sending Jesus, sending his word, sending his spirit to be with us forever. Hallelujah. Now, the more you invest, the greater the return should be. Um, say there's a brand new company, it's, it's an up-and-coming thing, it's really good. And so I decided to invest $1,000 in this company, buy $1,000 worth of stock. Mike, on the other hand, decides to invest in the same company. He decides to buy $10,000 worth of stock. So who's going to get the bigger return? The guy with the more stock, Right. Okay, so the bigger the investment, the bigger the return should be. And God has invested himself in us. So we need to be obedient to return what he's looking for. He's looking for us to live the same life that Jesus lived. Because he's given us all the tools. We have more. We have the full counsel of the word of God. Jesus only had the Torah. Okay? <clears throat> but there's one problem. 
maybe more than one, but one that I'm very aware of, and I call it the fear factor. And the enemy uses that. He's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. And he uses fear, um, the fear of man all the time. People won't do things, don't want to get up in front of people or say something, whatever, because they're afraid. And he just uses that. Um, they're afraid of looking bad. What if I step out and make a mistake? I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. If you step out, if you're brand new to a gifting, that you know you have this gift and you haven't been using it, and you want to unwrap it, and you step out in a gift, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. Grace and love is going to come to your aid when you step out. Every time. Every time. Every time. Without fail. Every time. I'll prove that to you at the end. Without fail. Grace and love. You have nothing to fear except fear itself. And the enemy knows that. And he uses fear like God uses faith. What he does... <clears throat> um, let me share this with you. Fear is false evidence appearing real. F, false. E, evidence. A, appearing. R, real. I wish that was original to me, but I heard somebody say that a long time ago. I don't know, some big name preacher on TV. False evidence appearing real. And that's what he does. He uses smoke and mirrors all the time to keep people in fear. And he's very good at it. He's had a lot of practice at it. Been doing it a long time. Now watch this. <clears throat> the enemy uses fear to redirect your faith. Okay? So let's just say that I'm sick. So I'm putting my faith in the Word of God that says, by his stripes I'm healed. Amen? Period. By his stripes, I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. I believe that. I'm confessing that. Say it's my back. It hurts bad. I'm still confessing that. Three weeks later, I'm still confessing it. A month later, I'm still believing it and confessing it. I think, but well, maybe this isn't going to happen. And pretty soon, my back's not getting any better. Pretty soon, I have more faith in the pain in my back than I have in what the Word of God says. What's going to happen? I'm still going to have the pain in my back. It's not going to go away. He redirects our faith. See, faith works both ways. It works in the Word of God, but it also works in the problem. Okay, faith is faith. Wherever you're putting it, that's where it's going to be working. So he redirects our faith from the Word of God to our problem. And pretty soon we have more faith in our problem than we do in the Word of God. It just happens very subtly. He won't do it blatantly because you'll, you'll put a stop to it then. You know enough to do that. But if he does it gradually over time, <clears throat> he's very wily. So if you put more faith in, in your fear, you're going to be defeated. Holy, how are we doing on time? Oh, good. <clears throat> now, we want to look at another script, two more scriptures. One in... 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. Now, here it says in my Bible, the heading says this. 
It says, take heed to your ministry. Take heed to your ministry. Verse 12, 1 Timothy 4, 12. Let no one despise your youth. I'm glad that's in there because you, you can't be despising me. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to the reading, to the exhortation, to doctrine. Verse 14, here it is. Now before I read verse 14, this is not a heavy, okay? Don't take this as a heavy. This is the word of God. It says in verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. What that means is um, don't be careless about it. Don't take it lightly. God has given us all gifts, all of us. And I think most people have more than one gift. In a lot of cases, we just don't know what they are. And if we do know what they are, it's easier for somebody else, let somebody else do it. Because I'm just comfortable right where I'm sitting. But as I said earlier, at some point in our life, we have to get from comfort to commitment. Commitment to the Word of God. And right here, we have a direct command. This was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Inspired by God. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Because he wants to use you to bless others. Others are missing a blessing if you don't use the gift that God has given you. Which was given to you by prophecy. Now this was spoken to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor and a teacher and uh, so forth, but it's just as real today to us as it was then. It's in here for our learning. Um, with the laying on of hands of the eldership. And he tells us how to do that in the very next verse. He tells us how to do it. He says, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Think about the gifting that you have and how you can step out in it. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. That's talking about commitment. Be committed to using your gifts, not just letting someone else do it all the time. And that your progress may be evident to all. See, there can be no progress in your gifting until you step out in your gifts. Amen? Amen? There can't be any progress. You have to step out. When Peter got out of the boat, he was doing just fine until he looked around and got afraid. That fear factor got him. And what happened? Did God just let him drown? No, Jesus was right there, reached out and saved him. He's going to do the same for you. When you step out in faith, if it's a new thing for you, um, this gifting, you're going to be met by grace, mercy, love of God. And he'll help you learn. If you make a mistake, he'll help you learn from it. That's how we all, I've learned so much from my mistakes. Believe me, I've made plenty of them. 
But that's how we learn and that's how we grow. And that's how our progress will become evident to everyone else as we mature in that. It's just like playing baseball. If you're a shortstop, you're a so-so shortstop, and you practice and practice, and you're down as the third year that you're doing it, and you're getting pretty proficient at it. You can turn them double plays really good. You just get better with practice. And it's the same thing with the gifting. You're not going to be Superman at it to begin with, but you've got to start before you can begin progressing. Amen? It's just common sense. <clears throat> so he tells us how to do that. He says to meditate on them and then give yourself to them, be committed to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Hallelujah. You see, what we've got to realize is that um, a, a gift is not to make you look good or to make you look bad. <laughs> a gift is to bless somebody or a group of people or a congregation or a state or a nation or whatever. It's not about you. It's about those that are being ministered to. Amen? And so when you don't use your gift and when we don't progress on it, we don't get better at it, we're... we're in a way, robbing people of blessings. But God is very gracious. I mean, he put up with me for 77 years now. And 35 of them, I didn't walk with him. So he's very patient, very gracious. So God is exhorting us today to allow him to bless others through the gift or giftings that he's given us so that we might progress and it might be evident to all. I want to close with this scripture in John 14, which is, most of you could probably quote to me. But I'm going to put an emphasis on the very last verse um, in this section here when I get to it. John 14, 12 to 18. Now he said, Jesus had made, God has made this tremendous investment in us. You know, this reconciliation, justification, seated us together with Christ in heavenly places. All these things. Um, given us divine favor. On and on goes the list. So Jesus is speaking here in chapter 14, verse 12. He says, most assuredly, in the New King James translation, anytime he says most assuredly or verily, verily, he's saying, listen up, I want you to get this. He says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now what could be greater than raising somebody from the dead? It's not greater in the work itself, it's greater in magnitude because there's so many of us. See, we're all supposed to be walking. A Christian means little Christ. And we're all supposed to be walking the life that Jesus walked and doing the things that he did. We have more tools than Jesus had to do them with. Verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. How can he say that? Because if you're walking closely with the Lord like Jesus was, he didn't do anything or say anything unless he heard the Father say it or saw him do it again. So every time he prayed for somebody, he knew exactly what was going to happen before he did it. And that's talking about relationship. So if we have a close relationship with God, we'll know his will. And every time we pray his will, it says in John, that first John, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have the request for what we ask, the very next line. Hallelujah. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to Father, and he will give you another helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Abide is meno, that means to dwell with you, live with you, stay with you. A beautiful word. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And now in the new covenant, he's not only with us, but he's in us. Amen. So that has happened. Then in verse 18, it says this. It says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. That, my friends, is a promise from God. So when you step out in a gift, even if it's one that you haven't unwrapped yet, he promises that he's not going to leave you as an orphan. He's not going to leave you out there on your own. Grace and mercy and love is going to come to your aid every time. Every time. And if you make a mistake, he's not going to beat you over the head with a two-by-four. I mean, you don't do that to your children when they make a mistake. Amen? If you're a good father and you don't do that kind of a thing, how much more is your heavenly father going to treat you with love? Amen? That's how we learn. You know? And so... Don't be afraid to step out. Um, he's keeping some of you bound with fear. God's looking for a return on his investment. Hallelujah. It's not a heavy thing. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to be used by him in some kind of a gift or giftings. There's all kinds of them in this church. He's waiting for you to step out. And he promises right here, what I just read, not to leave you. Just as Peter had to get out of the boat to walk on the water, according to Jesus' word, we have to get out of the boat of comfort and step into maybe uncharted territory for the first time. But when you do that, grace and mercy and love is going to meet you there and help you. He's not going to leave you as orphans. And then from there you'll progress. You'll get a little better, you'll get a little better, you'll get a little better. And down through the years. Hallelujah. But you can't progress until you start. <laughs> That's the thing. We have to take that step. We have to start first. And so <clears throat> a worship team can come. So God is encouraging us today um, to unwrap our gift so that he can come and meet us with his love and his grace and his mercy and help us grow. And I think it would be good to end this message this morning. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Yes. Um, 
with a prayer because I know fear has bound a lot of people. It's just a very common thing. It's nothing against you. It's just a trick of the enemy. He's just very good at it. He's very subtle at it. And, um, you know, we're going to bind the spirit of fear now. And we're going to ask God to forgive us for not using our gift if we haven't been using it. And he's quick to forgive. And we're going to thank him for helping us uh, when we step out um, before, by faith, before we do it. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the tremendous investment that you've made in us. Lord God, it's just overwhelming. This is just a short list of some of the things you've done and that define us. And so we thank you that we are these things that we talked about this morning. I'm not going to list them all again, but uh, we just thank you and praise you. And Lord, we just um, want to repent uh, for missing it sometimes, for not using our gift, not unwrapping it. Um, if we know we were supposed to do something and we were a little afraid to do it, uh, we just repent of that, Lord. And right now, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I just bind fear in this place. Fear of looking bad, fear of making a mistake. And Lord, we just uh, loose your love and your grace and your mercy to come to the aid of those that might step out in their gift today and unwrap it. Lord, I untied the ribbon of the box this morning with the word, but individually, we're going to have to take the lid off the box so that that gift can be used. And so we thank you and praise you for encouraging us today um, to use the giftings that you've given us. And we thank you once again for that tremendous investment that you've made in us. You've invested yourself, Lord, and you deserve a great return, a mighty return, Lord, on your investment. And so we want to be part of that return, Lord God. So help us, take us from faith to faith and from glory to glory. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.